You're listening to Channel 3, a gaming podcast. I'm Russ. And I'm Wally. Welcome to the show. Today, we're going to dive into a space adventure set in the cosmic year 20XT5. Our mission, to destroy the bioweapon known as Metroid, held deep within the space pirate fortress on the planet Zebus. Standing in our way are the nefarious Ridley, Craid, and Motherbrain. Bounty hunter Samus Aran has made it past the preliminary defenses, but time is running out. Will he be able to destroy the Metroid and save the galaxy? Today, we are playing Metroid, a game developed by Nintendo Research and Development and Intelligence Systems, and was released on the Famicom Disk System in Japan on August 6, 1986, and on the Nintendo Entertainment System in North America the following year. What were your thoughts on this one, Russell? I know this was a game that you hadn't played before, correct? That is correct. Um, this was my probably the most amount of time I've spent playing any Metroid game. I think I've picked a few of them up for you know, 10, 15 minutes at a time, uh, became frustrated, and immediately put them down to go play something else. Uh, you know, Mario Kart or something a little more arcadey. Fair enough. Um, this game... Um, I decided to stick it out. Uh, I probably made it most of the way through some of the first areas, uh, before I started getting really frustrated with just the kind of lack of general direction, the, uh, kind of cloning of certain areas, certain rooms look very, very similar. Um, some of the enemies are a complete bear to try to take down. If you don't have, um, some of the other items that are available to you right off the bat, um, that being said, this game really doesn't give you much in the way of instruction in the game. Uh, I sought out the instruction booklet, which, much to my surprise, is about 43 pages long, which is a monster by modern standards. And even amongst the NES titles, I can't think of anything that had a, a larger um, instruction booklet. That document completely changed my perspective on the game like it gives you a, an overall world map it gives you a description of the enemies it gives you a description of your mission what's going on like it is a primer and a prologue for the adventure to come yeah and it is really something that you actually have to read before you play the game if you want the game to make any sort of sense right obviously this is not the first time i've played the game um i played it way, way, way back in the day. I think I was about five or six, and we had a beautiful, uh, slightly older friend of ours that lived next door across the street, and her name was Ariel, and she was very happy to loan me a copy. And I uh, am not going to lie, I had a total crush on this girl, and I did not return her copy of Metroid. She actually ended up moving away. It kind of became our copy, and we always wished that we had had the chance to return it. So she... she stole your heart and you stole her metroid i i guess turnabout is fair play you know all's fair in love and war and video games um but uh yeah i got that then um i spent maybe three months start to finish to beat the game to beat mother brain um i mean bear in mind i was six i was i was young and uh, i didn't have as much playtime as I would like. I mean, we did have a Nintendo system, but I had to share it between me and my brother and my sister, and we had a lot of games. And so finding time to play was hard, but I did get the job done. Coming back to it now, uh, I'm very much not six anymore. And um, I gave myself a few days to play, and that was not enough time. I did not end up beating it. Um, I got through the first couple of areas okay. I managed to beat... Uh, 
Ridley and I got up to Kraid and didn't actually beat Kraid because Kraid is almost impossible. He is he's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. He's far harder than Mother Brain ever was. Um, and I just, you know, the game itself, it was good. Um, it was as good as I remembered, especially given the time. Like this came out in 87. This was, you know, right on the heels of another platform adventure game, Castlevania. And it was so markedly different from everything else. It basically trailblazed its own sort of game style. Like there are games now called Metroidvania games because Symphony of the Night came out and copied Metroid. And then that that sort of dungeon exploration meets an upgrade that unlocks another area has been copied so many times by so many games that it's almost ingrained into the game system. But it was completely and totally revolutionary when it came out. Mm -hmm. And it's just really hard to to think about that. I mean, we discussed this even at the start of the game. The opening scene sees you dropped into the dungeon with little to no explanation. And if, like most games on the NES, you start scrolling right because that's what you did you would soon run out of progress to make. There was a wall that you couldn't get past. And so you would be forced to backtrack all the way across the level back to the left where there is an advancement that allows you to continue on your adventure. And that was really, you know, in that first minute or so of the game, it lets you know how to play Metroid, that you are in this adventure game where you can do what you want, but you have to have advancements in order to make progress. And so it's, it's a balance of getting the thing and then going and doing the place that it lets you unlock. So I was playing this through, uh, played it through start to finish. And I was really impressed with the conveyance of, uh, how well it, the game teaches you, you know, that exactly that, that you, you're going to need an item, to get past a certain part of this. And there are certain items that you, you can leave out. You know, you can make the game harder for yourself. If you uh, avoid certain items, you can make it a lot easier for yourself. If you go for a hundred percent full clear. Um, the one thing that really stood out to me though, was also a lot of the visual thematics to other sci-fi works that had come before it. But as you are a gigantic alien nerd, um, I, I thought maybe we'd give this an opportunity to to have a talk about that. So for those who are not aware, um, the movie Aliens, the second in the Alien chronology, um, is not only my favorite movie of all time, but one that I've watched uh, literally hundreds of times at this stage. Um, and that whole universe uh, started in 79 with um, Ridley Scott's original work, Alien which was less of an action movie and more of a, you know, psychological thriller or horror thriller. Um, and a lot, and I do mean a lot of the visuals and kind of thematics from that made their way into Metroid. Um, the statues that you obtain power ups from are basically a crouching, you know, sitting version of the alien monster with some changes made. So there's no copyright infringement, but you can, like, you know, cover one eye and blur yourself a little bit. You're going to see the alien. Right, right. There's, there's definitely an, an H.R. Geiger-esque, you know, inspiration there. Um, For sure. And and even um, uh, Ridley, one of the game's many bosses, who is kind of this uh, 
you know, space dragon with this elongated skull and these big gnarly wings and, you know, shoots fireballs instead of acid, um, kind of shares very similar um, aesthetics to the, the, the titular alien xenomorphs. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it's interesting that, you know, this particular setting on the Nintendo Entertainment System, you hadn't really seen that sort of, you know, advanced sci-fi world paying homage to something that happened here, you know, out in the real world. Yeah. So let's get into some of the uh, the meat and mechanics of this. Um, so as Samus Aaron, um, you are basically given a, a very short range uh, kind of you know, pea shooter, marshmallow shooter, whatever you want to call it, um, right at the start. And, and it, it covers about uh, four feet in front of you or four feet above you or behind you, whichever way you're shooting. And that's about it. Yeah, as far as armaments go, when you start the game, that's all you got. You got your little pop shooter and all the enemies take, you know, a lot of damage to kill. And it's it's not a very enjoyable experience, especially if it's your first time playing because... The monsters are not easy in this. Oh, they're not set up. Not at all. Yeah, they're not They're not automatically set up in a way where you can just shoot and kill them. Uh, most of the enemies actually run along the ground. And if you shoot your gun, it's just going to go right over them and then they're going right. to hit you. That, that was the most frustrating thing was, um, you know, you think, hey, this is going to be area one. I'll get to kill some stuff. And you go to shoot it. And no, this little fuzzy porcupine looking dude just scurries along having a nice day. Your pellets go right over the top of them. And the next thing that jumps out of you is, you know, this neon green bat that comes spiraling out of the ceiling. And that just, you know, it just dive bombs you, basically. And if you, unless you land four really, really close shots, you know, he's going to stick to the ground and explode and, you know, do some damage. And it's just... Um Immediately, the game not only conveys how the game is played and giving you the morph ball and requiring advancements to to move forward, but it also imparts the sense of danger that you know you're not you're you're invading a fortress and things here are actively trying to kill you and they're not just going to roll over and die. The the thing that was most striking to me is how ill equipped your character is right from the get go. Um, so not only do you do you just jump in with this little pea shooter, uh, you jump in with effectively one third of your total life total. And that's in that that's insane to me. Like any other platformer, any other game, anywhere else, you start your level, you know, one, one world, one, one, you got three continues and you got full health. Go for it. But here they're like, we're going to dump you into a, into a pirate base in the, in deep space. And you're going to have basically no weaponry, very little health. Have fun. Yep. Uh, good luck. <laughs> and it's um, it, there's definitely, as you progress through the game and get various power-ups, there's definitely a feeling that you're making progress. Enemies start to be easier. They die in fewer shots. Uh, your first upgrade is actually a length beam upgrade so that your initial pop gun actually goes the distance of the screen, which is important because it allows you to to kill some monsters at a safer distance and save your, save your energy. And just, you know, as, as the game progresses, you get this definite sense of, you know, incremental growth. And then 
because you're forced to backtrack through the areas, you actually get to see that growth in practice, which I think was a really good move. Um, it might not play well very much today, but it is it is something that was important for the time because it let you feel your own progress. And that that brought people right back in. Yeah, I, I think um, a, a very significant design choice that we're going to see a lot with these NES games is game length just through these these backtracking mechanisms. Um, I know Castlevania is famous for making you travel all the way across the castle to get one little trinket, and then you go all the way back across the castle to unlock a door with that trinket. And Metroid does that, but it also reward it, it makes it easier than I think Castlevania does, and I'm sure there's probably like you know some speed runs out there that are like these are the minimum amount of enemies and the minimum amount of of uh, rooms you have to go through and you have to traverse to make you know the, the fastest time. Um, with Metroid, from the way I understand it, um, you know, if you really wanted to, you could go in and spend four or five hours going through every room looking for every little nook and cranny, and you're gonna fight a lot of guys doing that. But you're going to get practice at jumping, evading, you know, you're at the same time, you're also farming for missiles and health and you're finding energy packs and uh, different upgrades that are going to help you the further you get into these caverns. And I think it's interesting that we we keep jumping to the comparison to Castlevania. And that brings up another very important point, jumping. Um Oh, it feels so good in this game. Oh, it's here's the deal. Uh, Castlevania came out earlier that same year. Um, and these games are pretty inextricably linked. They came out around the same time period. They have a lot of the same mechanisms. And so it's important that we look at just how different these games are in Castlevania. When you go to make a jump, you got to start planning your retirement, the investment for the kids. Like you are, you are in that jump for the long haul and that jump could take you straight into your doom. But with this game, not only is your jump variable on how long you press the jump button. So if you just tap it, you take a very small jump or if you hold it down, you take a very long high jump, but you can change directions mid jump and shoot mid jump. So you can shoot back up and forward during a jump where you're spinning mm -hmm. and it's like the whole feeling of that of that jump is just so drastically different from almost every other sort of platform style game yeah i think um i after a while uh, in the in the first area of of Brinstar, uh, which is kind of like the rocky subterranean overworld, that's kind of the easiest part of the game to get into. Um, I think after a while, I stopped shooting at things when I wasn't hunting for missile packs or something like that. Um, I would just go for straight evasion and just try to jump over stuff and under stuff and morph ball underneath a lot of enemies and things like that. Um, more because I found that to be the quickest traversal method than trying to shoot everything more because there was always like a constant respawn somewhere. There was something, some little guy popping out of a pipe or something like that to pop up and, you know, try to get a shot at you. But, um, yeah, I, I you know, I think we should spend a little more time on weapons and upgrades. Okay. So the biggest upgrade is the morph ball bomb. 
And that upgrade is for your morph ball. And the morph ball is what you got, you know, 10 seconds into the game is kind of a, hey, welcome to Metroid. You turn into a tiny circle and don't die. Right. Or you got it two and a half minutes into the game like I did because I went right instead of left and hit the wall and was like, where am I supposed to go? All right. Well, I guess I'll go back. Yeah. It's, um, so if depending on time frame, um, but the morph ball bomb basically allows you to turn into the little tiny not die ball and then lay a bomb. And the bomb doesn't hurt you. It actually propels you up into the air into a little jump. And there are a ridiculous amount of rooms that that little tiny jump unlocks for you, as well as the Morph Ball Bomb's ability to destroy terrain temporarily to allow you to pass through it. So again, it's that whole, the entire game is that whole development of this upgrade lets you do X, which unlocks Y, which lets you get to Z. So it's just, it's a very... Very solid progression, and that happens relatively early on. Mm-hmm. And then the the second biggest thing that you get is the uh, ice beam, the ice shot. And that allows you to freeze certain enemies that float by, and then when they're frozen, you can actually jump on them to get to a higher area. Right, use them as a platforming mechanism. Right, and so there are several areas of the game, none of them necessarily you know mandatory, but it does let you get to certain places. Um much faster than you would normally. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's a very important thing. Um, The monsters don't really get any easier until you start getting, like, the wave beam. and That was the the one weapon that I I didn't get. And from my understanding, the the final fights are a little bit easier with wave beam attached. Yeah, wave Um, beam is definitely... If you're going to, like, play the game say for the first time or the second time, you definitely want to get the wave beam. Um... If you if you aren't shooting things with your with your pellet gun or freezing them with your ice gun, um, the bread and butter of your higher power armory is the missiles. Yeah, and you know Metroid understands its own difficulty. And one of the things I think they do best is at various stages throughout the game, you'll have the ability to basically hit an endlessly spawning um, area where there's a tube that'll shoot out a little beetle that flies right, the, at you. Right, the, the boss fountains. Yeah, and basically those those areas, you can just sit there and shoot the guys over and over, and they'll continue to drop you know, health and missiles. And that's important because the game, again, this game is difficult. You are in danger, and you will be taking a lot of damage. And so things like that, things like the extra um, energy containers, which are basically a second and third and fourth health bar, um, allow you to, you know, have leeway to make mistakes. So it's not quite as punishingly difficult, even if it is still hard. So after you clear through Brinstar, there's basically kind of two branching forks. Um, one at the kind of the bottom southwest corner, if you will, and one at the, at the southeast corner. Um, and just through natural progression, I kind of gravitated towards the southeast corner and went down a little elevator. There's some spooky music that plays. And we descend into Norfair, the fiery underbelly of Brinstar. And it's in Brinstar that we find, um, I think the wave upgrade is in here. I could be wrong about that. But the enemies here are all kind of fiery themed. Um, there are lots of them. They like to hoard up and, uh, and just get all over you and wreck you. Um, this was probably the area that gave me the most trouble. Um, 
and I think I I had I, I didn't get the Varia suit before coming down here, and I I don't know if I I don't know if you can or not. I I didn't spend that much time researching it, um, but I basically ran through Norfair about as fast as I could, um, and accidentally ended up in Ridley's lair. So, oh no! <laughs> yeah, and and Ridley's hideout. It's not like you you don't just get dropped right into the boss lair, but like it's very evident that. You know, all the enemies that are in the boss layers uh, between here and Kraid, uh, they are tougher, they're faster, they take more hits, they hit you harder, and the platforming in these sections is typically over either open lava pits or an open sand pit or something like that, that um, when they hit you, they will just knock you off the platform and then you start soaking damage the longer you're in that pit. Um, but at the, at, at the bottom of Norfair... You get into Ridley's cave, and at the bottom of Ridley's cave, you find Ridley, this xenomorph space dragon, uh, shoots fireballs, and I found the fight completely underwhelming, because there is one square that you can stand on that he will just lob fireballs over you, and won't hit you. And so I just stood there and just spammed my ice gun at him for like 20 seconds, and he died. fight's over. Right, right. Um, but by the time I got done with that and worked my way back out of his lair and out of Norfair and back into Brinstar, you get that Brinstar music and it's so good. It just gives you like this really, really cool hero moment and you know, the fight's not done. You, you know, you still have other stuff to go do, but you just spent, you know, a good portion of this, of your, of your playtime basically going into like space dragon hell and then killing it and then coming back out and you get this really cool um, kind of relief on that and then as you start diving back through the other side of Brinstar you get into Kraid's area and Kraid has some of the coolest music in the game Um, and as you kind of descend into his territory there is a um, what I would like to call the the Mega Man pre-boss screen that is very clearly marked as like this is pre-boss area because it's there's nothing else like it in the entire game. It's a small room, you know, bookended with uh, with doorways, and there are just like six big fangs hanging from the ceiling with a bright green texture over the top of them. Um, and when you go in to fight Kraid, he's Mecha Bowser from space. Like I I don't know what he's supposed to be, but he's kind of terrifying. It, he's he's a giant space Godzilla, um, you know, coated in metal. And he is uh, terrifying. Like, just imagine what if Metal Godzilla was standing in front of you and all you had was a little ice pop gun and uh, the ability to jump kind of high and turn into a ball. Yeah, he kicks your butt. Yeah. He kicks your butt a lot. You, you have a super soaker with ice water against space Godzilla. Yeah. Like, that's <laughs> I mean, not good. It's, it's not a good combination. I, I do have to say my own personal journey in Metroid ended there. After beating Kraid, uh, you get a small missile upgrade. Um, actually, but after both the bosses you do, you get it 25 or 50, I think, after each one. But after you're working your way back out of Kraid's lair and back up to the top of Brinstar, uh, you get to a doorway that you were able to access pretty early on but you weren't able to really do anything with it. Um, on the inside of it, there are two statues. One of them has a vague resemblance to Kraid. One of them has a vague resemblance to Ridley. And in the instruction booklet, 
uh, it gives you a brief description saying that, you know, once you defeat these two bosses, you have to go interact with these statues. It's not really conveyed in the game that that's what you're supposed to do. But once you do that, a, uh, a bridge is kind of ported over this pit that you can't get over naturally any other way. And that descends you into Turian, which is the main uh, Metroid infested part of the base. And prior to this, uh, the, the titular Metroid enemies uh, are nowhere else in the game. They're only in this section. And boy, are they terrifying. Yeah, it's um, kind of the buildup, the sense of danger that the game conveys very well, starting from the beginning, culminates in this area because these Metroids are super tough. They'll latch onto you. They'll drain your energy. They'll uh, force you to not be able to do much. And you have to, you know, find inventive and creative ways to deal with them or just avoid them entirely. And making your way down to the final boss, Mother Brain, is an enormous journey. Right. And this whole time, you don't really have a save. If you die, the game's over and you have three energy tanks. Uh, good luck. And it is it is not an easy descent. And it's definitely, it's challenging, but in a way rewarding as well. Right. Uh, this is where um, I had gotten to the point where, actually, I'll, I'll kind of backtrack and, and give a, uh, a an I Dream of Game Genie moment here. I, I tossed in... Um, I tossed in the the infinite life game genie cheat into uh, into the emulator I was playing this on, and that made life a lot easier, at least as far as getting through the narrative of all of this and at least experiencing and seeing everything it was supposed to be seen. But when we got into the mother brain area, there are a lot of enemies that are only defeatable by missile. There are some barriers that are only defeatable by missile. And unless you have scoured the game looking for all the missile upgrades and took the time to go grind all of your your missile inventory to max, this part is a giant pain in the ass. There is a a platforming rhythm to be had in here. I think there's like three or four barriers that you have to shoot down with uh, 10 missiles apiece. And if you don't keep the missile pressure on before they break, they will regenerate. So if you hit them with nine and stop for a second, they'll kind of regenerate and repopulate and... Uh, you have to start over with that. And that sucks. Um, had I not been playing with Infinite Life, I would have just quit. I would have just given it up um, because it, it's that level of just like pettiness, I think, that the, <laughs> that the game decides to take on you uh, right at the last bit. As you blast your way through, you get through the barriers and you get into Mother Brain and you're dodging all the lasers and these little floaty rings that just suck you drive energy. You, you are presented with possibly one of the coolest boss designs for a boss that does not move, um, where it's just this cybernetic brain. Yeah, brain in a jar. Right, with with all these uh, computer parts and whatnot and pipes and wires and stuff hanging out of it. And after you break the containment glass and lob a whole bunch of uh, missiles into its frontal lobe, uh, it starts a detonation of the of the uh, pirate base and you have you know 900 game seconds or whatever to to escape and the final platforming section um is tedious and i fell down the shaft a couple times um but overall it, it wasn't too hard to get out of there um but the final credit scene and the uh the final reveal 
is is well worth playing through if uh, if frustrating uh, platforming is uh, is your thing. You know, the first ending that you get the first time you play through, you're probably going to take more than about five hours. Right. And you're just going to see, you know, the back of Samus's suit, you know, looking away from you. And it's not very heroic, but it is, you know, you beat the game. It's the title screen. If you get below that five hour mark, she's, you know, looking at you with gun in hand, you know, kind of a cool little pose. And then as you progress downwards, um, she starts losing parts of the suit. And I say she, even though we mentioned he at the beginning of the game, because the final reveal from Metroid is if you beat it under an hour, you will find out that the titular character is a female. And um, in this particular case, she will be wearing an 8-bit bikini, which is not necessarily as uh, titillating as one would hope. I never actually got proficient enough with the game to ever see any of the special reveals, but it... It was something that, you know, obviously came to light and was it was in a couple of Nintendo powers. And um, I think my my final playthrough uh, resulted in her facing the camera and taking her helmet off. That is Metroid. Uh, thank you for taking the time to listen. And I'm Wally. I'm Russ. And thank you for listening to Channel 3 Games.